This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. Genesis 30, we will be looking starting at verse 25 through the end of the chapter at verse 43. (coughs) Hear now the reading of God's holy and inerrant and inspired word. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And he said, Name me your wages, and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban, but he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing. You may be seated. Well, 
Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would by your spirit prepare our hearts to receive it. As we look again at our family history, the history of your people, as we look at Jacob and we see in him one who has suffered silently. Uh, He undergoes much injustice and yet you are with him and you help him. We pray also that this would point us to the suffering servant, the one who suffered silently on our behalf, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. There are trials and difficulties in this life that end up in many ways defining who we are. It is hard to know what a person is really like, what their character really is, what they are really made of when things are just going well. When a person has what they want and things are going their way, it's pretty easy for people to be on their best behavior and put their best foot forward and make their best impression. That becomes much more difficult when troubles and trials come. Most of the great people of history are not remembered for being great because they never faced adversity. They are great because they faced adversity, and in it they displayed ability and competency in times of hardship. Just as one example, a British example, so it shouldn't be that controversial, you probably know who Winston Churchill was. He was the Prime Minister of Great Britain, navigated them through World War II. Uh, He's regarded by many as a hero. He's someone that we, even as Americans down to this day, know about. You probably don't know who Anthony Eden is. He succeeded Churchill as the Prime Minister of Great Britain in 1945 when the war was all but over. So what does this have to do with Genesis? We've been looking at the life of Jacob. So far, the life of Jacob has not gone particularly well, especially since Jacob arrived at the house of his uncle Laban. It turns out that Laban is a deceiver and a fraud. Now Jacob, before he came to Laban, did his own share of deceiving and fraud. He swindled his brother Esau. He swindled his own father out of blessing and birthright. But now the shoe was on the other foot. Laban has basically now swindled Jacob out of 14 years of his life and created a very difficult and painful situation in Jacob's home by marrying off not one, but two of his daughters to Jacob. In our passage last week, we saw the strife and the conflict and the pettiness brought forth as Jacob's first 11 sons were born among his various rival wives and concubines. Now, this is not to say that God is not with Jacob. God is still with Jacob and is blessing and multiplying him even in the face of this adversity. That doesn't mean that things are good or that things are easy. Jacob has suffered much at the hands of Laban. So what is Jacob going to do about this? More importantly, how is God going to deal with this? What is he going to do about this? How will God, who uses all things for his glory and the good of his people, use something like Laban's wickedness and deceit? That is the question 
we answer today. We will look at how Jacob begins to prevail over Laban today in four points. First, we see a problem in verses 25 through 28. Jacob has been getting this bad deal from Laban for many years, and something needs to be done about it. Second, a proposal in verses 29 through 33. Jacob, realizing the predicament he's in, proposes an offer to Laban to try to get a better deal, a more fair deal. Then third, we see preparation in verses 34 through 40. We see that the deal is good for Laban, maybe too good, but he accepts it and puts it into motion. Of course, he'll even engage in more treachery at that time, but at least seems to be willing to go along with some version of this deal. And then finally, we see prosperity in verses 41 through 43. Whatever else goes into this plan and its execution, God ultimately uses it to bless and help his people. So first, we see the problem in verses 25 through 28. So as we saw last week, Jacob now has two wives, two concubines, 11 sons, at least one daughter, and yet he has very little else to show for it. The whole time, these 14 plus years, he has labored in the service of another man and for the profit of another man, his uncle and now father-in-law twice over, Laban, who has been more than happy to take advantage of Jacob's goodwill. And it finally seems that Jacob has had enough of living this way. He is ready to move on. But this is more than mere personal frustration. It is not only that Jacob has had enough of Laban. He wants to go home. He wants to go back to his country. Not only because he's from there and his family is there and so forth, but likely he also remembers the blessings and the promises of God. God has promised to bless Jacob with all the covenant blessings promised to Abraham and passed on to Isaac and now inherited by him. He doesn't belong in the land of the east. He and his descendants are to inherit the promised land. After these many years among Laban, Jacob is ready to get back to his people and his place and the purposes of God. I've mentioned before that Jacob is in a long journey of sanctification. He has suffered much. A lot of what he has suffered has even been because of his own sins and sins very much like his own that were done to him. But Jacob still remembers in this God's grace and care and purposes for him. And he knows that ultimately this place where he is now is not his home and it's not the home for his descendants. So he asks Laban to let him leave. Now, it's not exactly like Jacob owes Laban this. He's done more than enough for Laban in his time there. He has more than fulfilled his agreement, and Laban has at every turn met him with fraud and treachery. Things are complicated, though, by the fact that Jacob's wives are Laban's daughters, Jacob's children are Laban's grandchildren. These families are essentially melded together at this point. So Jacob, though Laban does not deserve it, still wants to do right by Laban, wants to honor him, even as Laban 
has often done him wrong. Now, when Jacob asks to leave, Laban doesn't want to let him go. Because Jacob's presence has been very good for Laban. Not only has Jacob married his two daughters, given him grandchildren, but Jacob has provided 14 years of free labor. And that labor has caused Laban to prosper. Laban is even forced to acknowledge beyond Jacob's mere help that the Lord, that Yahweh, that Jacob's God, who is not Laban's God, as we'll learn from future developments, has blessed Laban because Jacob was there. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this, where unbelievers are blessed by the presence of God's people, and even pagans are forced to acknowledge that God helps and blesses his people in their midst. For instance, on Abraham and Isaac's sojourns among the Philistines and others, the kings were forced to acknowledge that God blessed them and that God was powerful. Now, even as Jacob wants to leave Laban, crooked and wicked Laban is forced to acknowledge that things are better with Jacob and Jacob's God around. So Laban wants Jacob to stay. He even offers Jacob the opportunity to renegotiate his wages. Now, there's really no good reason why Jacob should want to negotiate a new agreement with Laban. He named his wages once before, seven years of service, so that he might marry Rachel, which wasn't even a good or fair deal at the time. But Laban didn't even honor that agreement. So what was going to be different this time? So we have something of an impasse because Jacob wants to leave. Laban doesn't want him to. So what's going to happen? Well, this brings us to our second point. After the problem, we come to the proposal in verses 29 through 33. Since Laban offers Jacob the opportunity to propose an employment agreement, Jacob does come up with one. Starting in verse 29, Jacob first recounts what has happened to Laban and his house in the time that he's been there. So Jacob has been serving as the keeper of Laban's livestock, and he has done so effectively with God helping him. Because when Jacob came, Laban apparently didn't have very much livestock, and yet under Jacob's watch and care, Laban now has a lot of livestock. He has become wealthy. Jacob's been working for free this whole time, and another man, Laban, has become rich. Now, this would seem to be grounds for Jacob to assert how good he was at his job and to take some credit for it. But Jacob doesn't do that. Instead, he acknowledges that this is not because of his doing, but the Lord blessing Laban since Jacob came. And yet Jacob does have a very real and valid concern. He asks, and now when shall I provide for my own house? Jacob has this growing family, the two wives, the two concubines, 12 children, at least that we know of by the time he makes this request. That's a lot of mouths to feed. If Jacob keeps serving Laban, Laban will keep getting rich and Jacob will have nothing of his own to show for it. Now, we could at first glance think that maybe Jacob is being selfish, but it is a right and an honorable and a desirable thing for a man to provide for his family. 
And Jacob knows he has a family, a big family, a growing family, and they need to be cared for while and after he is gone. He can't just be the hired hand forever. He needs things of his own. Now, he will receive the most and best of the inheritance of his father Isaac someday, but he's been gone from there for years. He doesn't even know what's left back there. Maybe Esau, who stayed behind, took things, subverted things. So he can't necessarily count on that. So Jacob needs to start planning for the future, and he needs to start doing it now. Well, Laban asks Jacob what he should give him. It seems Laban wants to hire Jacob for a price, for wages. But Jacob is not interested in Laban's money. He wants something more substantial. He wants something more permanent. He wants a share of Laban's flocks and herds. He wants a share of the business. He wants a business of his own. To put this in modern business terms, he doesn't want to work for a salary. He wants equity. He will pass through Laban's flocks, he proposes, and remove all the speckled and spotted sheep and take them, and that will be his payment. But there's also included in here a right to future animals. Any speckled and spotted sheep that are born after this, they go to Jacob. Now also this agreement is going to be strictly enforced. Jacob knows that he's dealing with a swindler, so there needs to be a way to enforce this agreement. The natural characteristics of animals would be something that would be hard to forge, hard to fake. And so this would essentially prevent any fraud or theft, he thinks he's about to find out. But Jacob essentially makes this a solemn oath in verse 33. My righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. In other words, these natural visual distinctions between the animals will make very clear what is Jacob's and what is Laban's. Jacob, a former fraud, dealing with a fraud, wants this deal to be as airtight as possible. Now, although this is Jacob's proposal, it is still, once again, a, a deal where Laban gets the better end of it. According to commentators I read, the speckled and spotted sheep, the portion that would have been Jacob's, probably would have made up about a fifth of the flock. Never mind that they were speckled and spotted. These would be the ones that would be less desirable, thought of as perhaps defective because they're not the nice plain white that people wanted to see. Given how much more prosperous Laban had become with Jacob's help, this was not an unreasonable ask. Jacob would still be doing all the work in raising these animals, producing more wealth for Laban. Jacob would just get a cut of it. But Laban is still a deceiver and a crook, and he wasn't about to change. And so this brings us to our next point. After the problem and the proposal, we come to preparation in verses 34 through 40. So Laban likes, or at least says he likes, this offer in verse 34. Oh, that it were according to your word. Basically, amen, may it be so. But then in verse 35, we learn that Laban's not really all that interested in making it so. 
Now, it is at this point there's actually some division among commentators over what actually happened. Some say that Laban actually doesn't do anything wrong, that this agreement was over future animals. I don't think that's the case. I think the fact that Jacob says he's going to pass through that day, that means that part of the deal would have been those there currently were. Laban sneaks them out, sends them away with his sons three days' journey away, and hides them. Laban just can't help himself but to immediately, on the very day they enter this new agreement, to steal from and swindle Jacob. And he takes them three days' journey away, a long ways away, to somewhere where Jacob is never going to be able to find them. And it's not like Jacob would not have noticed. Jacob has been the keeper of these flocks and herds. He knew there were spotted and speckled ones among them. Imagine his shock when later that day he goes through and they're all gone. He would have known that Laban has got the better of him again. Not only has Laban taken part of what's Jacob's, but he puts him at a further disadvantage because a flock that has no speckled animals will be less likely to produce speckled animals in the future. Laban basically intends to swindle Jacob out of everything. But that's not going to be the end of this story. Jacob is now going to take the upper hand. While he can't do anything about the flocks and herds that Laban has already swindled him out of on the very first day of their arrangement, because Jacob is the one working with the flocks and herds, Laban doesn't seem to be doing any of this work, Jacob is able to use some resources at his disposal and, with God helping him, turn the tide. Now we should note in this situation what Jacob does not do. Given that Laban already broke their deal, he could come and lash out at Laban. He could basically say, okay, the deal's off, I'm leaving. But he doesn't do that. He has been keeping Laban's flocks. He would have known that this fraud has occurred. But Jacob doesn't take revenge. Why is this? Jacob has been through a lot. He has suffered much at the hands of Laban. And yet it seems that God has been using this as a means for Jacob's sanctification. He is not returning evil for evil. He's not seeking his own revenge. He is leaving it up to God. Laban had done all of this evil to Jacob. He has caused him harm in so many ways, in some very profound and personal ways. Every time Jacob would have seen his two wives and the way they fought each other, the way his sons would fight and feud along the same lines, it would have been a testament to the ways that Laban had wronged him, cheated him, done evil to him. And here Jacob was, this man with this growing family and nothing to show, nothing to provide for them. This would have been a very frustrating position. And to know that Laban was still stealing from him and exploiting him and swindling him. Even when it was his own daughters and grandchildren who stood to lose and suffer. You would think with all of that, maybe Jacob would want to take revenge on Laban. Maybe he would want to return evil for evil. But he doesn't. 
He patiently endures. He patiently suffered these things and trusted God to work things out. Now, this doesn't mean that Jacob did nothing. Jacob does, again, employ some resources at his disposal to try to help the situation. So starting in verse 37, we learn about Jacob's adventures in animal husbandry. We learn that he takes these sticks of the various kinds of trees, he peels back the bark, he exposes the animals to them, thinking that this will cause them to produce more of the spotted and speckled offspring. Now, I don't know for sure if there is any truth to this. Some commentators believe that this was just superstition. It really didn't help. It was just Jacob trying things. But some have actually said that, well, there is some research that maybe if the animals were eating this tree bark or something, it could actually cause a higher rate of speckled and spotted animals to be born. Either way, ultimately, the result is in God's hands. No animals are going to reproduce. There won't be any offspring of any kind if the Lord did not help him. So whether Jacob is engaging in a bit of superstition or whether there was reality, again, God is working. And suddenly these flocks and herds that had been picked clean of any speckled and spotted animals started bearing all these speckled and spotted young. Again, whatever means may have been involved, ultimately the outcome was in God's hands. God purposed to bless Jacob, and he was going to do it despite Laban's dishonesty and theft. This brings us to our final point. After the problem and the proposal and the preparation, we come to prosperity in verses 41 through 43. Once Jacob begins to have some success, once he has some spotted and speckled breeding stock, he's able to selectively breed them such that the better and stronger portion of the flocks are those that are Jacob's. So if there's weak animals, blind animals, crippled animals, those stay on Laban's side. Those breed together, and those get to be Laban's portion. If Laban is going to cheat Jacob these many times, Jacob is going to use his own resourcefulness. He is going to use the things within his control to get the upper hand. But again, none of this would matter if God was not helping him. And God purposes to bless and help Jacob and his family, even at the expense of Laban. He draws a division between his people and those who are not his people. And he's using these new developments, God is, to fully and finally separate Jacob from Laban. Up to this point, Laban has been content to keep Jacob around. He has fought to keep Jacob around Use whatever manipulation and pressure he needs toward that end. Because having Jacob around has been good for him. But now that God is selectively blessing Jacob, and Laban is no longer being blessed, Laban will no longer, in our next passage, want to keep Jacob around. Because God does not will to keep Jacob among Laban, and he will even bring about circumstances to change Laban's heart in this matter. Jacob must go back to the people and the place of promise. We'll see by the next chapter that Laban and his sons will turn against Jacob. 
because of the way Jacob ends up with so many of the livestock. Again, God orders all things for the good of his people and his own glory. Even the work, even the evil deeds of evil men. Though Laban intended to keep Jacob there, God reorders the situation so that Jacob can return to his country and his family and not only come back there, but come back there as a changed man from the way he left and even come back as a prosperous and wealthy man. God is using all of this to make Jacob into the man he ought to be, a father among the faithful. So what do we make of this? I mentioned earlier how Jacob seems to suffer this fraud and injustice against him by Laban in silence. He never sought vengeance. And he didn't just walk away either. I would imagine that any of us in a similar situation would probably have been inclined to seek revenge or to walk away. If we were defrauded on such a scale as Jacob was, we'd probably be calling our lawyers. Now, this is not to say there's never a time to do things like this, but it does show us that vengeance is ultimately the Lord's. We may not always get what we want. We may not always get resolutions and justice in this life. But even if we endure trials and hardships, and even if people do us wrong and continue to do us wrong, God works all things ultimately for his glory and our good. We may suffer silently for a time, but God will be glorified and our future is secure. Now also in all of this, Jacob points us to Christ. Because no one deserved to suffer less in this world than our Lord Jesus. Remember, Jacob was a fraud and a swindler in his own right. But Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He never did anything wrong, never lied, never cheated, never stole from anyone. And yet Jesus was slandered, hated, mocked, reviled. You've been coming to our evening services. We've been going through Jesus' trials and John and how he suffered as a criminal, though he was innocent. And he suffered mostly in silence, not defending himself, not avenging himself against the evil that was being done. And yet Jesus, in his silent suffering, secured our salvation. Vengeance is the Lord's. Justice is ultimately the Lord's. Of course, justice for us fallen sinners means wrath and condemnation. Christ suffered innocently so we wouldn't have to suffer what we deserved. Christ suffered in our place so that those who would by faith repent of their sins and trust in Jesus would have forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation. We get better than we deserve. Even if this world is bad to us, if people do evil to us, we still get better than we deserve. If people wrong us, we have an opportunity to share in the sufferings of Christ while trusting in God to help us and to make things right in his own way, in his own time, and to show forth his glory in the world around us, even in the face of such evil. 
That is a challenge for us. We're often not inclined to think this way. We want, when evil is done to us, we want it to stop. We want it to go away. We want to seek our revenge. We want to make things right in our way in our time. But our God makes all things beautiful in his time, even if it's not in the ways that we would think. So may we all trust in Christ today. May we all trust in God's providence and God's help for us, even in the face of hardship. And even in the hardship, reflect his glory around us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We acknowledge that in this life we have many troubles We face evil, we face injustice, some even as a result of our own sin, but often because of the sins of other people. And yet this reminds us that your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, suffered though sinless, he suffered though innocent, and it is by his suffering that we can be saved and that we can be reconciled to you. And so may the troubles and hardships of this life point us more and more to the cross where Christ poured out his blood so that we might live, and that even in our difficulties and trials, we may reflect your glory to the world around us. And that may we have the confidence that even though life is difficult, you work out all things for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.